0: Last week on HPH, we told you the story of the American defeat in the Philippines in the early days of World War II. What followed was a massive surrender, a brutal event known as the Bataan Death March, and even more disease, starvation, and murder of American POWs at the hands of the Japanese. Now, we're jumping to the year 1945. The Americans are back on Luzon, the main island of the Philippines, and they are advancing rapidly. Behind enemy lines sits a POW camp housing the sickest and weakest surviving American soldiers that had been captured back in 1942, and if the Americans don't get to them quickly and quietly, there's a good chance the Japanese will slaughter them all before retreating. This week we're telling you about the daring effort made to rescue these boys and bring them home. It's a great story that's sure to bring a patriotic tear to your eye, so why don't you go ahead and grab a drink? settle in and enjoy this episode of 100 proof history titled the great
1: raid heading down to cabana town this is 100 proof history we're drinking whiskey and talking history so grab a drink sit back relax and enjoy a few laughs as the guys talk about all the horrible things people do to each other here are your hosts chris and greg Mm, mm. Oh, whoa, excuse me. Sorry, Chris, I was just uh, sipping on a nice, cool margarita. Oh. You know, in celebration of Cabana Town. Oh, yeah. We're talking about today. Hell yeah. Oiled up
0: Cabana Boys. Mm. South of the border, and I don't mean geography. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Tangentially related. <laughs> Emphasis on tangential, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, but unfortunately, we are talking about something a little more serious. Yeah. I wish it was Cabana Boys. Right. They're yeah. tangenitals. We're talking about the Baton Death March, and specifically this episode, the heroic rescue. Or maybe not. Or maybe they don't get rescued and they all die. Yeah,
0: we don't know. We haven't finished the book yet.
1: We do, but you don't, listener. You do not.
0: <laughs> well, I, for one, Gregory, would like to wish a very happy Hanukkah to all of our listeners who are of the Jewish faith, because this episode will come out in the lo- the weighing days of Hanukkah. Oh, yes. Shalom.
1: <laughs> I think that's appropriate.
0: That's good. Yeah, that's good. I th- I think they'll appreciate that. You know, it's like you're you're trying. It's like when I go to the Mexican restaurant and say "Gracias" to the waiter. Why well, I, I say "Gracias" because it's funnier. You know, making fun of his language for my friends. Oh,
1: you're one of those guys. Yep. Give me those
0: fajitas. It's like, sir, there's no rolling S in fajitas. <laughs>
1: I'm honestly offended. <laughs> Imagining the person that does that, because I know they're out there. Oh yeah. In mass.
0: There's some guy listening to this show right now who's like, oh fuck, am I an asshole? Did I am I
1: am I? You a dick are. Or- oh if yeah. you do shit like that, you're a fucking
0: asshole. And you're not funny. Mm. Always gets a big laugh out of the waiter though for some reason. He's always
1: smiling at me. Hmm. Almost like he has a vested interest. <laughs> anyway. Uh, enlighten the people as to what we're talking about today, Christopher.
0: Well, you kind of touched on it, Gregory. We are uh, talking about the raid to rescue the survivors of the Bataan Death March, Some we talked about last episode in depth. And, uh, this week we're jumping forward in time towards the latter part of the war when the Americans, everything's going great for the U.S. And now it's time to step up and bring our boys back home. And for that, Gregory, our main source again is Ghost Soldiers by Hampton Sides, and it's a great fucking book. Pick it up right now. I'm tired of telling these people to read, and they don't do it. It's it's getting to the point where I'm starting to feel disrespected by our listener.
1: How do you know they don't do it? Oh, I know. I know these lazy fucks. I've got a pretty good fucking hunch, Greg. (laughs) Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Yeah. You're inventing scenarios in your head, Chris. You realize that.
0: Oh, I'm very good at that. I'm very good. That's why my showers take 45 fucking minutes. Because I'm spending, th- thinking about every conversation I'll have for the rest of the day. Oh, this is what I should have said. God damn it.
1: <laughs> Esprit de scler.
0: Oh, it's not even that. It's, oh, I'm going to get to work and someone's going to hold the door open for me and they're say, good morning. And I'm going to say, yeah, it's a great morning. And that's going to make them feel better. Like, every single step of my day is planned out and it never goes to
1: plan. And if they scoff, I'm going to put my hand up and I'm say, get the fuck out of the way. <laughs>
0: You've got every contingency plan. Oh, yeah. yeah. Water is freezing cold. My wife is just assuming that I'm just masturbating frantically. Jokes on her. I can't get an erection because I have so much anxiety about my upcoming day.
1: So And little known fact, Chris takes a shower. He's got like a combination bathtub, shower, mm-hmm. like a lot of bathrooms yeah. are. Yeah. Especially in apartments. Um he takes a lay down shower. <laughs> He doesn't stand up, but he doesn't take a bath. It's a lay-down shower. Best of both worlds, baby. And he does it butt up. <laughs> I caught him one time. I've just throwing that out there. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. You might too, listener. This is the first time we discussed that. And the head's at the, the drain end.
0: <laughs> I thought we agreed we weren't going to bring this up again, but... Uh,
1: I don't remember that at all.
0: <laughs> I thought that was implicit. And the fact we've never talked about it in all these decades of our friendship.
1: It was two weeks ago. (laughs) You never told me not to talk about it. And I'm not going to (laughs) apologize. It was fucking weird.
0: Whatever. You know, like, as soon as you saw that, like, the next time you took a shower, you tried it. Like, maybe there's something to this. Yeah, and it did not feel good. (laughs) And that's
1: why I thought it was so weird. kind of felt like I was drowning in my own filth. Yeah. (laughs) It made it hard to pee, because you're laying on it. See, well, I like to take a real bath, lay down on my back, and then just pee and,
0: and laugh as I pee. <laughs> Pretend it's the fountains at the Bellagio and sync it to the music.
1: Go, <laughs> Yeah. Yellow submarine, you know, I got that playing the whole time. It's great. It's a fun time, man. Your shit's weird. I'm sorry. Mine's completely normal. Well, listener, give both a try,
0: and let us know in the comments what you think. That's how you get them, Greg. You interact with them. Make them feel yeah. like they're a part of the family.
1: I'm not good at this whole thing.
0: <laughs> it's only been five years, whatever. <laughs> still really? still trying to find, you know, the groove. Still, still trying to, you know, figure this
1: whole thing out. We'll get it one day. <laughs> yeah. Any day
0: now. <laughs>
1: You ready to jump on into second part of the story, man? Cannot fucking wait. Let's do it. Apparently, you can wait because you're still fucking talking. Not about story. Damn it. Three, two, one, go now.
0: Got it. When we last left you, it was the end of January 1945, and about 500 U.S. prisoners of war were wasting away in a camp near the village of Cabanatuan on the Philippine island of Luzon. Most of them had been there since 1942, when they had surrendered to the Japanese. Way back then, General Douglas MacArthur had escaped, and he vowed to return for his men. And now he and the American army were back, and they were sweeping across Luzon towards the capital city of Manila. Folders,
1: genius. Thank you. I mean, unbridled genius.
0: I mean, we made the same joke last episode, but they probably didn't listen. In early January, Army Intelligence had learned that the Japanese had massacred 150 American prisoners of war at a camp in Palawan by soaking them in airplane fuel and burning them alive to prevent them from being rescued. And they, you know, Greg, I'm going to say they probably should have known it was coming, being on Palawan, because that's where, that's all the people that Anakin Skywalker killed,
1: all the Palawans. Oh, the Padawans.
0: Oh, Fuck.
1: That's where they got it from, though, I'm sure. I'm sure. Of it. <laughs> yeah, that's I've right. never been more sure of anything in my entire life. It only makes sense, you know?
0: Yeah. It's too close for comfort, right? Way too close. Well, on January twenty sixth, guerrilla fighters rushed to the town of Calaisio to inform General Walter Frederick Krueger that there was a camp sixty miles away in Cabanatuan, and it held only the American prisoners that were too sick or weak to be transferred to another prison camp. Well, Walter Frederick Kruger realized that the main thrust of the U.S. Army would probably reach Cabanatuan in five days, on January 31st. To him, this meant that he had very little time to rescue the prisoners before the Japanese killed them. After the war, his conclusion would prove to be apt, because it was then discovered that on August 1st, 1944, the Japanese War Ministry had issued a kill-all order that said of the POWs, quote, Whether they are destroyed individually or in groups, and whether it is accomplished by means of mass bombing, poisonous smoke, poisons, drowning, or decapitation, dispose of them as the situation dictates. It is the aim not to allow the escape of a single one, to annihilate them all, and to not leave
1: any traces. I mean, it's pretty crazy, man. We often speak about, you know, dehumanization of the enemy. Mm-hmm. But this is literally the shit that I say when I'm like going around my house, like planting ant traps. Or something. <laughs> like almost word for word. Like, I will kill every single one of these fucking pieces of shit if it's the last thing that I do. <laughs> I'm talking about. Ants. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're talking about fucking human beings, and that's wild. Got a tiny little katana. You're like, I'll behead every one of you motherfuckers right here now. Could you imagine? (laughs) The the time it would take. You'd tear down your entire house. It would collapse on top of you. (laughs) You're just like fucking whacking studs until it collapses on you. What (laughs) happened to them? I don't know, but the evidence is not looking good. I think he went fucking crazy.
0: We found a journal, and every page is just the word ants, but in different sizes, and it looks like he wrote both hands at the
1: same time. It's really weird. Yeah. Oh, also, small added fact, he had both of his ants mummified in the attic (laughs) of his house. (laughs) Different spelling, though. Yeah, different spelling, but I I think he was taking it that far. But again, that's a small, you know, tangentially related fact. We're not sure if that had anything to do with this, or if it's just because their husbands happened to have fisted him when he was younger. (laughs) Both of them? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's why it's probably not related to the actual anthropods that we're talking about now.
0: Yeah, both of them at the same time. It was... First of all, it's a goddamn wonder of the human anatomy that that could happen. But still, I can see why it might lead him to... Well,
1: I I know why you would say that. I know one that was actually fisting his mouth. So it's, you know, that's still crazy, but it's not as crazy. But anyway, again, I think we're talking about, you know, the, the thorax beings. Not, not... Trauma from long, long ago. <laughs> not quite childhood, but as close as you can get to childhood trauma. <laughs> not those. <laughs> we also talked to
0: his mom, and she said once he stepped in an ant bed and got like several ant bites, so we think it might be related to that. We're, we're weighing our options right here. You know, we're trying to figure out motive. We're leading ant bed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're leading ant bed, not Eiffel
1: Tower fisting by his uncles. That's... <laughs> <laughs> Which did happen in one of his aunt's bed, but <laughs> we're, Aunt, Aunt A.N.T. bed is what we're going with. Occam's razor, obviously.
0: <laughs> well, General Frederick Kruger then turned to Lieutenant Colonel Henry Muchi, commander of the 6th Ranger Battalion.
1: What, what'd he tell him? I'll see you in your dreams.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah, because... Fred. Fred Krueger. Come on, guys.
0: I was, gonna, I was waiting. I was waiting to see if he caught on to that because I've been saying a lot. It's not actually his name. He yeah, has no Frederick in his name that I know of. No, it's Walter. <laughs> yeah, it's even more terrifying. <laughs> yeah, Walter.
1: Hmm. A Walter'll fist you. <laughs>
0: yeah. A Walter'll drag your ass in the basement. Yeah. You won't. There's no waking up from that. Ask me how I know.
1: <laughs> oh, Uncle Walt. Uncle Walt was a mean son of a bitch. <laughs> Uncle Terry. hmm Let me just say, just as guilty. Right. But Uncle Walt was mean about it. <laughs> He'd do things like jazz hands when he yeah, when he, when he was in there. Oh, my God.
0: Oh, my.
1: <laughs> At least Terry would try to make it like a fish or something. <laughs> Ease it. Terry would do it, and you'd hear like this
0: muttering, like a high-pitched muttering, like a tiny hand puppet was talking inside of you, Chris.
1: You're fucking ridiculous <laughs> and perverted. You're going to make this a handbone joke. It's ridiculous.
0: No, I wouldn't bring you're, him back. You're up. too far gone, dude. After all, all this time, gone. no way.
1: Chop handbone! I can't breathe. This is like shit. <laughs> What even is this fucking oh, show? who cares? We have it.
0: like six listeners left. <laughs> <laughs> six <laughs> have, <laughs> They've joined us in the ninth circle of hell. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we all float down here. <laughs> <laughs> you know how the internet has made it to where you can have this most extreme worldview and you can find a group of people that... <laughs> agree with you and it makes you feel validated, that's all this podcast is now.
1: Exactly, yes.
0: Yeah, so Kruger had reached out to Colonel Henry Mucci, commander of the 6th Ranger Battalion. Now, you might think of the Rangers as an elite unit that does elite shit. That is a very modern interpretation. In World War II, the Rangers were a brand new idea patterned after British commandos. And even then, man, like, they had a lot to figure out because all they got from the British was don't wear underwear. Like, go commando. Okay, Chris. I'm proud of it. Fuck you. (laughs) (laughs) Also, the 6th Ranger Battalion was only formed when men who were trained to escort mules carrying artillery pieces through mountainous terrain arrived in 1944 when no one actually needed mules to do that anymore. Like, we gotta find something for these guys to do. They're used to walking through mountains. Let's make them elite fucking soldiers. Like, that's crazy to me. Like, they didn't... They are fucking transport, like, quartermaster-type dudes. Like, I'm just here to move shit, man. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh, no, we need to make you into the, the badass representation of the army. Sorry, bud. You're now on spec ops.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh... The f- The
0: fuck is Spec Ops? So those men spent the following year training in the jungles of New Guinea under the 33-year-old Moochie, who is a short fitness freak that could outrun most of his subordinates. Also crazy that a lieutenant colonel was 33 years old. I don't know if that's, like, typical, but it seems, I guess,
1: in wartime especially. Oh, especially back then, man. Yeah. I mean, any time that you have a wartime force that rapidly expands. Mm Mm-hmm. That's going to happen.
0: Yeah. Okay. It it makes sense.
1: Yeah. As they like now, as US forces start to contract after World War II, then you're going to have like no young officers. It's all going to be old fucks till the Korean War when boom, it gets a little bigger, goes back, then Vietnam. Like it's just the ebbs and flows. But yeah, like in wars, especially when you have large engagement of like a big percentage. Of your forces, you're gonna have a lot of young officers.
0: It makes sense. It's just, in my brain, in my brain pan, I think about modern day, like, politics and stuff, you see this guy who's a lieutenant colonel being dragged before Congress, and he's, like, 45, 50-year-old dude, you know? And I think that's just what gets stuck in my head. Like, oh, 33 years old, Jesus, he's already a fucking lieutenant colonel? At 33, yeah. I'm still living with my fucking parents.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, man, that is, ju- I mean, I know this is getting into extreme tangent territory, but just, like, watching a, a thing on Audie Murphy, like, he's a great example. Somebody you look at and you're like, God damn, what was I doing at his age? He was, like, 19. <laughs> yeah. I was eating fucking Pete's Pockets and shit. <laughs> yeah.
0: I was masturbating, like, seven times a day. Like- <laughs> This dude's sitting on a tank that's on fire and calling an artillery in on his own position. I'm like <laughs> I'm like, oh. Lisa Ann, yes, please. Here we go. Delta 2 Niner,
1: that is a go. That is a go. <laughs> yeah. Fire for effect. <laughs> uh yes, sir, Mr. Audie Murphy. <clears throat> yeah.
0: His voice is cracking while you why he's saying <laughs>
1: Pwn these noobs! Go! Go! Go!
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, this rescue operation will be the 6th Battalion's first real action, but Mushy couldn't bring all 800 rangers, so he selected C Company, or Charlie Company, in military
1: phonetics, if you will. Wow, dude, you're a fucking operator. I know,
0: man. I've, I've played a lot of Call of Duty, just saying.
1: Fuck yeah, dude. Well,
0: Charlie Company was comprised of 120 men. Moochie met with them and laid out the rescue plan and offered to allow anyone who had doubts to drop out of the mission. But no man did, because no one ever fucking pusses out on these kind of things. They're never going to be like, oh, <laughs> actually, I didn't want to be in this fucking war. Guys, I gotta take a
1: shit. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, it's, dude, we're fucking Alpha Mike in like three days. Yeah. I got to take a big <laughs> a shit. A bunch of shit. It feels runny, guys. <laughs> it feels runny. Best of luck to you. None of them are like my aunt's
0: ex-boyfriend who, he joined the army, freaked out before he was going to be sent to basics, so he tried to gain too much weight for them to accept him anymore, and the recruiter gave him a bottle of X lax and had him sit on the toilet for a weekend. Like, there's, none of those guys are lining up in these battles, right? Is that a real thing? That's a real thing. They broke up, so I
1: can... see. If he was in my house, I would have just sprayed him with fucking Raid, and he would have died. Because <laughs> he was an ant boyfriend, making him an ant. <laughs> We're still conflating the A N T A U N T thing. This still uh, will it's, not stop. It's, it's like... not funny anymore, and I, I will continue doing it. I don't care. <laughs> For the next two hundred
0: fucking episodes. Get ready. <laughs>
1: You can't stop me. I will exploit every little trapping of the English language. You're
0: welcome. Well, Mushy then said quote, There'll be no atheist on this trip. I want you to swear an oath before God. Swear that you'll die fighting rather than let any harm come to these prisoners. mister President Roosevelt, will you hit your spittoon, please, and end this quote? Piting <laughs> Thank you, Miss President, end quote. End quote. All 120 men then marched right into the church and did just that. And this is like the family prayer at Thanksgiving for me. Like, yeah, I'm going to bow my head, but I'm just doing this for show, guys. Like, I will 100% ditch one of those prisoners if it saves my whole life. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll honestly, I'll sell them all out. <laughs> yeah. I prefer soldiers that don't get captured. Just saying. Elect me president. Oh, boy. <laughs> At about 5 a.m. on January 28th, Mushi, 120 rangers, and a monkey named Kazil, that a ranger had captured and made into a pet, all loaded up in trucks, pulled out of Colasio, and headed for the town of Guimba. Well, from Guimba, they would be on foot, and they would make a 30-mile trek to Cabana Town. A field radio would be set up for Muchi just in case he needed emergency rescue from the nearby 6th Army. But other than that, the men would observe strict radio silence. They marched to a barrio known as Lobong. It was there that Muchi and the rangers connected with a group of 80 Filipino guerrillas led by a man named Eduardo Hoson. The guerrillas had offered to help the Americans and without them, the rescue would have been impossible. They knew which snakes were venomous and which water sources it was safe to drink from. They knew the best places to cross rivers and streams. And they knew the best places to get a cheesesteak. You can't just go off the touristy spots, man. You gotta find, like, the
1: fucking locals. They know. Do they?
0: I don't know. They all claim to fucking know. I don't know. It's Philadelphia people and their fucking cheese whiz sandwiches. Filipino. Oh,
1: oh. Gotcha. Okay. Oh. I was wondering
0: where the joke was coming uh, from. Oh, I didn't know.
1: <laughs> a Filipino cheesesteak sandwich.
0: World famous. <laughs> I was confused. I'm sorry. That's, that's... <laughs> they,
1: use, uh, they use the he's wheeze. <laughs> that's how they, that's the authentic. That's how you know. Yeah. You throw some Swiss on there, you're a fucking piece of shit. Mm-hmm. Pack your bags, get out of town. <laughs> you're not welcome here. Here, let me just pull down my shirt and show you my left breast not (laughs) welcome. Okay?
0: Well, the Filipinos were also assuming more risk because if the Japanese found out they helped, they would just go ahead and wipe out entire Filipino villages out of revenge. That evening, the rangers and Filipinos left Lobong and soon came to a national highway that was choked with traffic from the retreating Japanese forces. The Japanese had resorted to moving at night under the cover of darkness to avoid American air attacks. The Rangers had no choice but to wait for lulls in the convoy and dash across the road one by one. Eventually, a tank stopped on the road and the men had to silently crawl under the bridge upon which it sat. But, by 9pm, all of the men had made it across safely.
1: It's gotta be terrifying.
0: Oh man, I can't even imagine. You're crawling under that bridge, and the tank's right above you, and, like, Japanese guys, like, smoking a cigarette, you know, puts it out, like, like every stealth level of any video game, except right then.
1: You, you accidentally fart. I was I say, right and then. The <laughs> ja- Japanese guy gets an exclamation point over his head. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, oh, fuck, and you gotta hide in a locker real quick as he goes by. <laughs> yeah. Or pull out your cardboard box that you hide under. <laughs> He's looking in the riverbed,
0: and there's a cardboard box. <laughs>
1: Metal Gear Solid joke for all of the probably 95% of the people that are listening right now. Sorry, the obscure video game. We got not, to, not sorry actually. You know so, what?
0: We hit all sorts of aspects on the show. We hit we we have a broad audience and we entertain all of them with very specific jokes tailored just for each individual
1: listener. The broad audience is the problem. <laughs> If it was just dudes, I wouldn't have to explain this shit. It's all the fucking broads. They don't know the <laughs> goddamn video games I'm talking about.
0: Yeah, you're right. I did call my wife a broad once, and it pissed her off. She got very mad at me. Did you? <laughs> called her a broad, and then on a separate occasion, I called her a very handsome woman. <laughs> you know, because it's like an old-timey, like, compliment. Like oh, yeah. Like, twirling the mustache. You are one handsome woman. And she's like, what the fuck did you just call me? Like. I called you Helga. (laughs) Excuse me? Said you have the shoulders of an oxen driver. Bertha? (laughs) You have wide child-bearing hips. Is that okay?
1: I don't don't think any of those things will be well-received. They were not. That was 90%
0: of the divorce, me trying to give her compliments from my childhood in 1920. (laughs) Well, after spending 24 hours awake and moving, the rangers had traveled about 25 miles to the village of Balankairn. The camp at Cabana Town was now only about an hour's march away. It was here that Moochie met with advanced scouts who had done very little in the way of actual scouting. Like, oh fuck, oh shit, you're already here? Uh, (laughs) Oh fuck, man, We've we've been dicking around all day, I'm sorry. Like the day really got away from me. Like I, I went to talk to Jenny in accounting, and I was there for like a fucking hour, just bullshitting, just shooting my shot, you know. (laughs) Like, uh, my Uh, you want to know about the camp?
1: Yeah, it's a camp down the road. Yeah, it's about um, I don't yonder. (laughs) Yeah, I I don't know eighty yonder, (laughs) eighty clicks. (laughs) Uh, Well, maybe (laughs) Is, is
0: that where? I didn't get the memos. That, that's that what we're using? The clicks? How far is a click, anyway? <laughs> you know? <laughs> sounds, uh, yeah. yeah, sounds about right. Yeah. <laughs> they could tell him that the camp was surrounded by flat, open plains that would be difficult to cross without detection, and that was about it. Which they already knew from their fucking maps of the area. <laughs> oh, you got those... Topographical, topographical, how do you, I don't know how to say that, but you got those maps that show the elevation and shit?
1: <laughs> Man. The topona, toponagraphy? Gra- I think, I'm pretty sure that's right. <laughs> you got that!
0: <laughs> but, they promised to get right to work and bring him more information. Mushi was soon met by another guerrilla leader named Edward Pahota, who offered the services of his 90 soldiers and 160 unarmed men. When Pahota asked when Muchi planned to attack, Muchi said, That very night. Pahota said that was a stupid fucking idea tantamount to suicide. It turned out that about a thousand Japanese soldiers had set up camp on the Kabu River, about a mile away from the camp. Pahota told Muchi that he should wait a day, give the Japanese time to continue retreating to the north. Muchi said he'd think about it. Pota then said that he knew that the men they were rescuing would be weak, and he said he'd spend the day rounding up carts and water buffaloes that
1: could be used to carry the POWs to freedom. The shit's getting a little wild ass. Yeah. Like, I mean, when you just think of the way we normally talk about war, the ins and the outs, battle formations, and and how things are done, and it's all of a sudden we're talking about rounding up carts and water buffaloes i love when we get like i guess into the the minutia of the smaller details when it's like you know what we got to use what we have to basically like rescue people yeah no I, that shit's wild to i me. love these stories I, I love the
0: smaller sneak attack like everything's going wrong we got to improvise or you know even, even things mm-hmm. aren't going we got to come up with stuff on the fly i love those stories like we did with our uh, our Norwegian heavy water raid episode last year, where it was like...
1: Oh, that's one of my favorites, man. You
0: know, they had to raid that fucking dam and just uh-huh. sabotage it. Everything went wrong, and they still fucking did it. That was
1: great. It's just, it's just so wild-ass. Yeah. Like, at every turn, something was going on, and I don't know. I guess I like this kind of thing, just yeah. the more espionage side of things.
0: Well, yeah, and it, it's a nice break from soldiers lined up on this side, soldiers lined up on this side, this guy... Came up with a good maneuver, outflanked them, drove them from the battlefield, you know, stuff like that. Because, I mean, that stuff's cool, too. Don't get me wrong. I I love flat-out battle tactics, but still, this smaller-scale stuff is really cool to learn about because it's it's not something that gets
1: a lot of play, like, gets a lot of coverage. Agreed. Agreed with the point that I made. (laughs) (laughs) You made me think it was your point. And I agree with yeah. you.
0: I'm so good at agreeing with you that you agreed with me agreeing
1: with you. <laughs> man, Greg, you make such a fucking great point, man. Everything you said was just mm, Jeff's kiss. I agree, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> you've never said anything better in your entire life. <laughs> what a what
0: an excellent point that you've made. <laughs> you know, most podcasts are fueled by conflict. I'm just saying. <laughs> Well, the American scouts, who hadn't done much scouting, finally disguised themselves as Filipino farmers and spent the day hiding in a shack above a rice paddy, watching the camp at Cabanatuan. This shack was elevated enough that it allowed them to get a full layout of the camp, which had a main road that ran from back to front. On the left were the American barracks, on the right were the Japanese, and in the back was a shed that likely held trucks or, worse, tanks. They also confirmed that thousands of Japanese soldiers were marching towards the camp, which prompted Muchi to finally agree to delay the attack by 24 hours. Kind of racist, I'm just going to say it. Like the Filipinos tell him to do it, and he's like, "Uh, I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know if I can trust you, you're kind of brownish. And then his American scouts tell him, he's
1: like, Yeah, you're right, 100%. Good call, guys. I'm going to disagree with you. The people that don't have the technological know-how to necessarily know something, they say it. And they're not even like your fellow country. Mm-hmm. You have no idea what their process of discernation is. You have no Like, they could just be fucking making shit up. And it's like, mm, okay. Your guys, you know the rigors that their intelligence has to pass through in order to be considered real, for lack of a better mm. word. So you're like, oh, okay. It's easy to play the old card, if you will, but... Counterpoint. Uh Uh-huh.
0: Greg's a racist, too.
1: Boom. I win. Ah, I just won. fuck. I didn't think of that. just
0: won. Shit.
1: You're right. (laughs) I I didn't consider that at all. Sweet. I retract my entire argument. No, don't agree with me. I just said
0: Conflict Fuels Podcast. What are you doing? What are you doing? Don't agree with me. Let's act like we're going to fist fight each other. I think you're a fucking (laughs) Well, I'll agree to disagree Let's continue this story
1: Yeah, you would say that
0: (laughs) Well, the rescue plan created by Captain Robert Prince Was for the combined force of 300 men To march to the Pampanga River I love the Pampanga River She was my My first crush Boy Meets World Topanga. Oh, yeah, Topanga. Yeah, you're right.
1: <laughs> Topanga River. <laughs> she only became a river when I was done with her, you know what I'm saying? Uh, hey, sorry, guys. I hate people. Uh, yeah. Now I imitate them, and then I hate myself. <laughs>
0: yeah. I hate these imaginary people I create in my head that are based on real people. <laughs> that are just
1: outlets of myself, <laughs> yeah. if we're being honest. Hey, but back to uh, Topanga. Oh, yeah. What a fucking, like, when you really think about it, what an interesting name Yeah, that they used on a very popular show. It is. It's like a ni- a 90s sitcom for kids. Everybody has normal names. And then all of a sudden, you have a Topanga? Yeah. What? And nobody questioned it. I, I know, like... I'm only questioning it now.
0: Yeah, same here. I didn't never have thought about it, never given a second thought. I know, like, in the beginning of the show, she was, like, some, like, hippie child. Like, let's just give her a wild-ass name, because mm. her parents are hippie or whatever. But never question it. And it might have just been because she was, you know, my Well, I
1: guess that's the explanation. Boyhood though.
0: crush. You know, it's like, I would die for you, Topanga. I will kill Corey Matthews and throw him in the goddamn river, and we will run away together. This is my thought every day when, you know, I'm going through puberty and... Unable to talk to actual human girls.
1: My favorite sweater, Demogorgon, was fucking Clarissa, dude. I wanted oh, to put yeah. a ladder up to her back window, <laughs> which I know I've brought up on the show before. That is weird as shit. Yeah, it is weird. Like this, this dude's just putting a full extension ladder on her second story house in the backyard, climbing up every day, mm-hmm. and never gets caught. They don't remove the ladder. Yeah, like while they're in there. Yeah, it's weird. It just
0: Stop making me think about things I should have thought about 20 years, 30 years ago. Fuck.
1: I'm pretty sure Carl was fucking Urkel, too.
0: <laughs> they just played off the other thing. Like,
1: yeah, just pretend
0: like you're here to see Laura.
1: I didn't think so. Yeah. So why those pants were pulled up so high. Yeah. He didn't want Carl to fucking like it. I'm not saying it wasn't consensual, but it was coerced. He walks
0: in. He sees Carl with the pants tint. He goes... Did I do that?
1: (laughs) You're a piece of shit. You're a a fucking sexual deviant.
0: (laughs) Oh, thanks for the six listeners that have stuck around. I I know
1: I led you down that road, but (laughs) you saying that, you're a sexual deviant. I
0: think we've talked about that before. You'll say something fucked up, and I'm like, how can I make this worse? How can I make this even more disturbing, like, Borderline Mm -hmm. unpublishable.
1: Imagine if they knew all the shit that we've said that (laughs) didn't make it through the uh, (laughs) the great filter.
0: Yeah, we just got that bleep button this week. Otherwise, oh my god, we had to edit out like the whole last point. (laughs) (laughs) Unbelievable. (laughs) Anyways, sorry. They were marching towards the Pampanga River. It was there that Edward Pahota's men would head northeast to a bridge over the Kabu River. They were to destroy that bridge at exactly 7.40pm and then set up defensive positions to stop the Japanese from rushing to the camp. Captain Hosan would take his men to the southwest and block the road coming into the camp from that direction. As for the rangers, they'd have to silently crawl on flat ground for almost a mile before they reached the camp. Then, a small contingent were to separate and crawl to the back of the camp and kick off the attack at 7.30 by opening fire on the Japanese pillboxes and guard towers. The rest of the rangers would then spring up, rush inside the camp, slaughter the Japanese in their barracks, and then free the Americans and get everyone home in time for a McDonald's sausage McGriddle. Was it too complicated? Would it work or would it lead to the wanton slaughter of American prisoners? I guess if you want to find out, you're going to have to come back after this break. End of this half of this part of the
1: story. Whoa. I don't know. These roles have been reversed. (laughs) I'm confused on what to do. I need a drink. Let's get one and come back.
0: Okay. Or just get the drink. we'll, We'll play the rest by ear. Okay. All right, we are back, and welcome back to Hunterproof History, the only podcast that totally knows how magnets work. So suck it, ICP, jugglos, idiots.
1: Dude, don't fuck with the great Malenko. (laughs) Uh, There are powers beyond you that you're taunting. I just wanted to know that.
0: (laughs) That's true. Were Were you obsessed with? magnets and messing with them when you were a kid? At least just a little? No. No? You didn't always, like, take the opposing poles and, like, like spend, like, all this time trying to shove it together, and it never worked?
1: I did, I did it a little bit, and then realized <laughs> it didn't work, and then stopped.
0: So, you didn't skip your high school prom and spend all night <laughs> <laughs> staring at a whiteboard that said, magnets, question mark, and you're just standing there stroking... Your chin, like, hmm. Tonight's the night I figure this out. Yeah, that wasn't your childhood experience.
1: No, I skipped my prom because both of my uncles <laughs> on separate sides of the family told me that it was their birthday. Coincidentally, <laughs> now is the party popper. Oh God! <laughs> One of them's Hispanic, and he called me his <laughs> Oh That's my uncle Gary.
0: Yeah, I feel like your childhood was a lot more eventful than mine. I I don't, eventful is the right word?
1: Not always a good thing.
0: Oh, okay. (laughs) I mean, you got more stories to tell at parties, you know. Yeah, I know how to clear out a party, for sure. (laughs) Well, before we clear out this party, we need to tell the
1: rest. Whoa, 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 whoa. Minor correction, not my childhood. Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. Right after my childhood. (laughs) Yeah. Right when you became legal. The piñata joke, for instance. That's a joke because it was my 18th birthday party. Oh, okay. The candy came out and I got, quote, the candy cane stuffed back in. (laughs) This is the worst thing I've ever said. What a strange man your uncle was.
0: (laughs) Your Hispanic uncle. I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) Well, if you're still here... Then you know we still have to talk about the rest of this story. But before we do that, let's lighten things up a little bit. Let's let's take a little break from the dark alcohols and bring out what we like to call our second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. Second half seltzer. seltzer. All right, three, two, one, pop your tops. All right. Well, I'm going to enjoy that, Greg. Well, you tell these people what else happens on this great raid. Will it be a success? Will it be a bitter failure? There's only one way to find out, and that's to let Greg take you home. You ready to do it?
1: I have to, man. Obligated Mm -hmm. by a contract. contract, Contractually, yeah. Yep. On January 30th, 1945, at about 6.30 p.m., the Rangers of 6th Battalion, Charlie Company, set about a mile away from Camp Cabanatown. In the fading light of dusk, they could make out the camp guard towers that overlooked the expanse of flat plains that surrounded the camp. Slowly, they lowered themselves and began to crawl towards the camp. They began to fear more and more that they would be discovered and cut down by machine guns and artillery but they had heard an unmistakable roar coming from the northwest. A day earlier, as Captain Price had been laying out his plan of attack, Eduardo Pajota had suggested something he thought might buy the rangers time to crawl up to the camp's perimeter. He and his scouts had noticed that when planes flew overhead, the Japanese guards couldn't help but stare at them. Muchi picked up what Pajota was laying down, so as the rangers began their crawl, A P-61 Black Widow fighter aircraft streaked over the camp and then began doing acrobatic maneuvers to hold the attention of the Japanese. And I will post
0: a picture of this plane on our Instagram, Facebook. It's a badass-looking plane, but it was so, like, foreign to them at the time because it's the end of the war and it's kind of like one of the late developments in the war. So the Japanese had never really seen it before. Uh, especially since the Black Widow was called that because it flew at night. It was like the first American airplane with built-in radar. So they flew at night on bombing raids and stuff like that. So they'd never really seen it before. The Americans in the camp didn't know what the fuck it was because they'd never seen it before. They'd been in the camp for three years. But you look at it and you think, man, that is a badass-looking plane. So check that out.
1: As they grew nearer to the camp, Lieutenant John Murphy and 30 Rangers had split from the main force were now making their way through a deep ravine that ran behind the camp. At about 1930, they emerged from the ravine and crawled 200 yards on flat, open ground towards the rear of the camp. In about 25 minutes, the entire field would be illuminated by a full moon. But for the time being, the darkness and the plane circling overhead allowed them to move into position and take aim at the two pillboxes and two guard towers that guarded the rear. At 7.45 p.m., Lieutenant Murphy fired his M1 Garand towards one of these towers, which was the signal to unleash absolute fucking hell. The rangers on both sides of the camp opened fire with their garons, carbines, Tommy guns, and Browning automatic rifles. And within 15 seconds, all the towers and pillboxes had either been neutralized or completely obliterated.
0: Well, luckily those towers and pillboxes were probably empty. <laughs> like. Like, they just blew up some buildings, right? Like, the Japanese were
1: fine? Sure. The Japanese sentries never stood a chance and were ripped apart by gunfire before they even knew what was happening. Oh. Never mind. Ranger Teddy Richardson leapt up and ran for the gate and blasted open the lock with his forty-five caliber pistol. Men with BARs raced down the main road to the officer's quarters and raked it with automatic fire for several uninterrupted minutes, turning the wooden shack into pieces at a rate of 550 rounds per minute. This sounds like gun porn. It is a little bit. It really sounds like gun porn. It's
0: gun porn, it's patriot (laughs) porn, it's... We're trying to get back the the 37% of the audience we've lost over the years.
1: (laughs) More rangers ran to the enlisted barracks and did the same thing. As the attack began, Japanese soldiers piled into a truck and made a dash for the rear gate. Staff Sergeant Manton Stewart said this. Oh, I saw this. I was like, said he what? He said
0: this. Fuck you! You're not getting anywhere!
1: He said this. Level this bazooka! And blew the truck's... Sh- and people <laughs> were looking I'm like, wait, wait.
0: Are you, is he reading from a book? <laughs> He's doing it. He's... Saying all of his own actions just for prosperity. He pulled
1: like, out his dick, he shook it at the enemy. He took a piss. He looked down, he saw his dick was getting small because he was so fucking amped. He ran, he jumped on the truck bed. Oh, he slightly slipped. But he didn't slip too much. He grabbed that bazooka. Like,
0: what the fuck? Matt and you're you're distracting us here from the mission. Like we're we're so engrossed in your narrative right now. <laughs>
1: Staff Sergeant Manton Stewart saw this, leveled his bazooka, and blew the truck straight to automobile hell. That's where all the cars from Cars go. And Christine. Christine's there. Oh, 100%. And
0: that truck from Maximum Overdrive, the movie Stephen King directed while he was on cocaine.
1: Oh, and the uh, the truck from the Candy Cane. Yeah. I don't remember what that was called.
0: I don't either, but I know what you're talking
1: call, about. Call sign, you know, he's yeah. a candy cane over the CB. <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: That truck's there? Yeah. Uh,
0: Optimus Prime, surprisingly. Oh. Yeah, he had a lot of strong opinions about immigration. Which is ironic, because he's from a different planet, but.
1: <sighs> well, at the same time, you know, you have a lot of fans that are kids. Mm-hmm. It much trouble. <laughs> it much trouble, so while the few injured soldiers that survived the blast were finished off by ranger gunfire. Stewart then turned his bazooka on the sheds in the rear of the camp and fired, setting the buildings ablaze. As they collapsed, the rangers could see two tanks among the burning wreckage. The lock to the prisoner's section was shot open, and the rangers began pulling prisoners out of the barracks. Strangely, many of the men believed it might be a trap and refused to leave. It didn't help that the prisoners had been captured almost three years ago while using antique equipment, so they didn't recognize the uniforms or weaponry of their rescuers, and none of them knew what the fuck a ranger was.
0: Yeah, it's kind of wild. Imagine you're in a prison, and some dude busts in, and he's wearing, like, this space suit or whatever, and he's carrying a wild-ass weapon. He says, I'm here to rescue you. You're like, let's go. You're like, I don't know. Kind of like prison, it's kind of let me explore some things that my wife can't offer me, you know? Kind <laughs> of me see some avenues of life that uh, were closed off before.
1: So, what do you have to offer, Mr. Spaceman? <laughs> the Rangers were just as surprised to see the terrible conditions of the prisoners. The POWs were made up of living skeletons, amputees, men missing their hair and teeth, men with ghastly swollen appendages and scrotums. One ranger described them as Sickly old birds that had just been plucked. End quote. End quote. <laughs> they were so starved that several rangers found it easy enough to carry two prisoners on their back at the same time. Unfortunately, one of these prisoners, described as looking as if he were a frail old wizard in his 80s, became the first American casualty of the raid, and he died of an apparent heart attack while being carried to safety. Rest in peace, J.R.R. Tolkien.
0: His last words were, Fly, you fools! (laughs) Well, that's Gandalf. But, yeah, I guess we're going for the same thing. And then he came back three days later all dressed in white, but he's not Jesus. Don't confuse him with Jesus. Please do not think this guy's Jesus.
1: Not the same thing. Not the same thing. (laughs) Same thing.
0: It's kind of the same thing.
1: Toward the rear of the camp, a Japanese soldier escaped the barracks and hid in a shallow ditch where he set up a small, portable mortar. He quickly launched several rounds before being cut down by automatic fire. For the most part, the mortars caused only minor wounds among the escaping Americans, but once in a large piece of shrapnel into the abdomen of Captain Jimmy Fisher, who was serving as the battalion surgeon.
0: It's a little bit ironic.
1: Don't you think? <clears throat> Lieutenant Colonel Muchi met the men outside the gates and began directing them to the carts that had been gathered by the Filipinos. In the distance, they could hear another gun battle erupting. At 7.40 p.m., the explosives lining the bridge over the river Kabu had gone off as planned, but they had only damaged the bridge enough to prevent vehicles from crossing. The Japanese began to run across the camp, But Eduardo Pajota and his men were in perfect defensive positions and cut them down, leaving hundreds of Japanese dead on the bridge or in the river below.
0: That's so crazy. Like, that's just wild to me. Like, I don't have the nerve to get angry at somebody in traffic because I'm afraid of the consequences, and these guys are just charging straight into fucking machine gun fire.
1: It's wild, man. It is fucking absolutely wild the things that can be done to people... When you bring in, like, nationalism, and... Mm-hmm. It...
0: <sighs> I don't know, man. I don't either. It, it's such a cultural difference, I guess. Especially back then. Like, I think we'll talk about it in the Fast Facts, or maybe we talked about it in the last Fast Facts, I don't remember, but the stats about surrendering Americans versus surrendering Japanese, and the, just the difference in numbers. Like, they would rather just run screaming straight into the mouth of a machine gun then say, you know what, uh kind of like to see how my kids turn out, you know? Just <laughs>
1: <laughs> Oh, I hate to even laugh at that, but yeah. That's right. Captain Prince went door to door through the camp barracks, looking for any prisoners that might have been left behind or had been too stubborn to leave. At eight forty five PM, satisfied that no one was left, he fired a flare gun into the air to signal that the assault was over and the rangers and Filipinos were to make their way back to the Papanga River.
0: Sexy. Teenage Papanga River.
1: Mm -hmm. Mr. Sweeney getting involved. You know he just wanted to watch. Was it Sweeney? Feeny. Feeny. Fuck, 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 fuck. fuck. (laughs) I hate being
0: wrong. (laughs) That one episode where Sean dressed up as a girl to see what it was like for girls in high school, and you're kind of like, I don't know, Sean, you're kind of pulling this off. You're kind of awakening something in me.
1: Man, back then, I always imagined doing that. Being like, so, uh, ladies? We ready to start the fingering? <laughs> Just gonna finger ourselves?
0: <laughs> Think of the boys? Alright, let's go. Uh, Greggina, this is study hall, we're not gonna do that here, but hit me up later, because we're gonna have pillow fights and Make-out sessions, because that's what girls do in high school. I
1: fucking knew it. I fucking knew it. I fucking <laughs> knew it. Why well, as the last remaining men that made up the rear guard began to pull out, one of them mistook Ranger Roy Sweezy for a Japanese rifleman and shot him in the chest. You know, that's kind of what you get when you sit there and you're doing little South Park impressions. Yeah. Talk about shitty walls. <laughs> that's what he was doing. It's like, dude... I mean,
0: I don't know what you expected. Yeah, sitting there just doing the accent. Did you know a
1: Chinese and a Japanese are different people? Oh, really? That's what he was doing. He got shot. I kind of deserved it. Cancel culture. He's a fucking idiot, dude. Yeah. That's what you get. They tried to convince Sweeney that he had been hit by a Japanese sniper, but his last words were, God, God, God. Killed by my own uh, menu.
0: <laughs> that's the thing about Sweezy, man. He's just trying to keep them laughing all the way to the end, you know? Yeah. And that's the kind of humor that really landed back then. That was... C- committed to the craft, you know? <laughs> yeah. 100% committed to that bit. Killed by
1: my own um, menu. Oh. Menu? What are you <laughs> talking about a menu for? <laughs> You know them old fuckers back then. They just did not understand culture, right? Luckily, we do. Yeah, that's what we're known for. We knew he just meant men. That's that's the way his his people talked. We're his, very his hypothetical people. Yeah, and we're we're
0: very cultured, very sensitive to other cultures.
1: Oh, extremely, yeah, like uh, overly, yeah, honestly. Captain Jimmy Fisher was evacuated to a field hospital that he himself had set up that morning. A Filipino surgeon and doctors who had just been rescued from the prison camp attempted to perform surgery on him and remove the shrapnel which had lodged in his liver without the benefit of anesthesia. They soon realized that he needed to be airlifted to a proper hospital, but there was no suitable airstrip nearby. The Filipinos living in Balancar spent all night working by torchlight and using hose rakes wooden spoons and their bare hands to build an airstrip in a nearby field unfortunately captain fisher was worse off than they had feared early the next morning he roused and said quote, "oh good luck on the way out" to... And, quote, and closed his eyes "chris i don't want to hear it <laughs> okay" <laughs> He was studying Japanese. An hour later, he died.
0: (laughs) He's just scrolling his Duolingo app while he's saying it. (laughs) I will say, most of the time reading these history books, I am unmoved because I am a soulless monster dealing with my childhood trauma in poor ways. But when I read, this dude's dying on this, this operating table in a remote village in the Philippines... And the Filipino people go out in the middle of the fucking night to dig an airstrip in a single night to save this one dude. I got a little verklempt. You know, I got a little choked up. Man, that is, that's some touching stuff. And then like a paragraph later, the main source is like, uh, but the plane never came. Like, oh, you just pulled the rug right out from under me, didn't you? God
1: damn you. Yeah. <laughs> Up ahead on the road, the remaining prisoners and rangers were soon greeted by a fleet of trucks and ambulances escorted by an American tank. They had crossed out of enemy territory and were finally safe. In total, 552 American prisoners of war had been rescued at the cost of 2 killed and 14 wounded. It is estimated that over 1,000 Japanese were killed in the raid. The prisoners were put on a ship set for America, and over the month-long journey, their only responsibility was to gorge themselves during what one former prisoner called, quote, a dietary orgy. <laughs> mm, <man. laughs> and then he put his finger in his belly button, end quote. After all, these guys were heroes, and the American public didn't want their heroes to look like skeletons. Those are spooky. Don't know spooky skeleton heroes. That's true. That's true. That's true. In the end, it just goes to show that humans can endure almost anything. And sometimes, enduring is its own reward. And that is what we tell ourselves each and every time we sit down to record this dead fucking weight. Curse. Of a podcast. (laughs) End of story. Woo! We did it!
0: Told the story of the Baton Death March and the daring reign to rescue the prisoners. Hope you guys enjoyed that. I think, nice little slice of history that doesn't get a lot of attention. You, You know, you turn on the World War II stuff and World War II in color, you know, all the other things you can pick up on the streaming services. They don't really mention this. And uh, I think it's a great story. But there are a few things we left out of this part that we would like to tell you right now. We would like to get out of here. We'd like to go home, but we still have a few more things to get off our chest. And those things are called the Fast Facts. Fast Fact number one. Last week, we briefly mentioned how much the Japanese hated surrender and disrespected POWs, but the numbers make it readily apparent. Armies of Western nations usually had four of their soldiers captured for every one killed. The Japanese had one soldier captured for every 120 killed. Also, American prisoners of war held in German or Italian camps had a 4% death rate. In Japanese-run camps, the death rate was 27%, meaning one out of every four men captured by the Japanese would die in one of their shithole prison camps.
1: Fast Fact Number 2 One of the prisoners who raised the most hell about not wanting to go with the Rangers was Colonel James Duckworth, who had served as commander of the American prisoners at Cabana Town. Afraid of Japanese reprisals, he attempted to order the Rangers to cease their rescue operation, only to be told, quote, With all due respect, you are not in charge here. General McCarty is. <laughs> now I suggest you head to the main gate before we uh, kick your ass there. I'll apologize in the morning. He just
0: did the bow bow on camera.
1: (laughs) Dejected, Duckworth shambled out of the camp, where he promptly fell in a ditch and broke his pussy arm. Fast Fact
0: Number 3 Most of the rangers only slept for 5 or 6 hours out of the 72 hours that the raid ended up taking. To make up for this sleep deprivation, the medics distributed vials of what were described as quote unquote PEP pills. Of course, it turns out that these PEP pills were a powerful amphetamine known as benzodrine, similar to what the Germans had used at the outbreak of the war. One ranger said, quote, It felt like your eyes were popped open. You couldn't have closed them if you wanted to, end quote. <laughs>
1: Fast Fact Number 4 Even though Captain Price double-checked to ensure no one was left behind, one prisoner did not escape with the rest. His name was Edwin Rose, and he was a deaf Englishman who had been arrested by the Japanese in Manila in early 1942. He was in the bathroom when the raid went off and claimed he had absolutely no clue that a rescue was going on. And just assume that the explosions were some sort of Japanese trick. The day after the raid, he realized he was completely alone and simply walked out of the camp where he was picked up by Filipino guerrillas and transported to safety.
0: All right, well, that does it for this episode. We thank you guys for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned something. I also hope that you check us out at hunterproofhistory.com for a little biographic information about your favorite podcast hosts you'll also find a link to our patreon where you can get access to classic episodes bonus episodes at least two day early access to new episodes all for the low low price of three dollars a month you can also find us on social media at 100 proof history on the instagram and facebook post things related to the story post some memes sometimes interact with the fans we just have a good time on there so check that out. But that is it for myself, Christopher, your sexy co-host. For Dan Dan, the intro man. For Wolf Dick, for Hambone, for everyone, we thank you for listening. And we ask main host, Gregory, best host Gregory. We're just so proud of him. He's just our little man, and he's, you know, he's he's making his way in the world. And God, I couldn't be more proud to know him.
1: Gregory. What else? Well, I listened to the thing earlier that you did, and you bleeped me out at a really inopportune time. I don't know if you're you talking make, about. You make it sound like I called you a I, I don't even want to say it. You make it sound like I called you an... <laughs> and that's pretty fucked up. So I just hope that's not the case, that people don't think that. I'm clearing my name now what I called him was a so as long as we're all on the same page now Jesus fucking Christ yeah that's uncomfortable sorry about that I'll do better anyway we'll see you guys soon uh, on the next episode and uh, yeah Goodbye. Goodbye. goodbye Yeah, I, there was a little bit like after college, pre like career, mm-hmm. where you know I was doing like historical tours of like the Confederate South, right? And I've I've found like an old plantation in Southern Virginia, right? Okay. So I mean, it's just historical. It's not a like a reenactment, like a war battle or anything, but it's people like time period acting like. They're going to act, sort of thing. Colonial Williamsburg type
0: thing. Sure. Yeah. And
1: I wanted to be a part of that because, again, I'm traveling. I'm trying to, like, pay my way. It's almost like backpacking through Europe. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to pay my way. So it's like, all right, I can do this. Mm-hmm. I get some acting chops. And uh, they didn't have any positions available except for what they call, you know, the help, mm-hmm. which we're all mature adults. We know that that's like, that's black people. Right, it's Confederacy. Yeah, yeah. And so, they could use a woman that, that was black. Mm-hmm. I'm obviously a man that is not black. So, I did do it, for lack of a better term, blackface. Oh, you my know? gosh.
0: Now, I do want to point out to our listeners, when you were doing this, this was a different time and place in our in our culture, right? You know, this is, when this kind of thing
1: was still... Oh, yeah, this is this 2014.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> and so they had me be the wife of this this dude. His his real name was actually Bobby. Okay, You know. So it was me and Bobby. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's actual black man. You know, I'm a, for lack of a better word, fake black woman on this plantation. We're right. actors. Yeah, actors. This, this is acting, right? And anyway, um. We're all, we're at, like, a comedy improv night, you know, one evening. As and, want
0: uh, to have, yes.
1: Yeah, we're fucking tearing it up. It's the off-season. Off-season's typically about, like, February, you know? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because there, there's not a whole lot of tourism around mm-hmm. that time. Most of it's, it coincides with, like, spring breaks, uh, summers, know. fall breaks, you know. Makes sense. Yeah. It lines up, yeah. Educational-type stuff. Well, I feel like I'm learning a lot already. So it's in the offseason a bit, a little more lax, and um, went out to the comedy improv night. Bobby's fucking killing it, dude. Mm-hmm. Bobby's doing so many funny things about, like, at that time, like Tom Brady was really big in the Patriots, you know? Mm-hmm. He, he's fucking killing it about Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Uh, he was doing some old callbacks like Ace Ventura in the 90s, like uh, Jim Carrey. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's fucking, he's fucking killing it. He has a heart attack, dude, on the stage. Wow. Yeah. Ambulance comes. He gets transported. Sad to say, he fucking dies,
0: right? Oh.
1: So now all of a sudden, I'm at Plantation. hmm It's fucking, for lack of a better word, a white boy in blackface. And cross-dressing. I, I guess I'd never thought of that part. Okay. But yeah. Okay. And uh, all of the other actors... Let's just call us all actors. They they all called me the Black Widow, and it was fucked up, dude. Yeah, that's messed up. It did not feel good. I oh. miss, I miss Bobby to this day.
0: <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm laughing. I'm, I I laugh in tense situations. I'm sorry. I, I know that was a tough. Don't moment worry. For it's you. not even funny. I don't know where I was originally going with that.
1: <laughs> I have no idea where I was going with that. It was gonna be funny. <laughs> Just know that. (laughs) Know that, listener. There was something about that that was funny, and I completely forgot it along the way. I don't know why.
0: They are just on the edge of their fucking seats, just waiting for it. I'm Black Widow, all
1: right? (laughs) Couldn't tell you. Just
0: waiting for that punchline. Keep waiting. Because
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot it. <laughs>